All right. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Your all right can't so escape. higher than my all right. Oh. Well, all right. I don't sound like that. Said. It's not a bad thing. It's just my all right's usually like, I've all been right. smoking for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's it. Perfect. <laughs> no. Welcome back to another episode of Bible Breaks. Oh, it is it is so beautiful outside today. I had windows open, even though I probably shouldn't have, because it was still like 75 out. But, you know, I like my house to be a little bit cooler than that. But it's nice to dream that fall is at our doorstep. I know we're technically supposed to be in fall already, right? Have no, not until the 23rd. <gasps> Never mind. The 23rd of September? Mm-hmm. We have to wait that long. Yeah. Oh. I mean, it's still kind of hot outside. But you do see the trees changing color already, too, so. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I mm. just feel like once we jump into September, like, it's time. Like, let's yeah. just cool off. I had to physically restrain myself. Okay, not physically, but... <laughs> I had to keep myself from decorating for autumn before the end of August. Because that's just who I am. I see that. And everyone's mourning the summer, but I'm always ready for autumn, baby. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, so do you do you think about months in colors? Yes, Max and I talk about this. Yes. Okay, what color is August? August is usually in my mind. So and Max said he thinks of like a deep green. Oh. For August, which I thought was interesting. Max is a freak, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I think of like, we literally were talking about this yesterday. It's kind of funny. I think about like a hot orange for mm-hmm. August because it's like the sun is baking you. Mm-hmm. It's baking the earth. Everything's hot. That's yeah. just what I think of for August. It's orange with like red edges for me. Mm-hmm. But yes, it's like a hot orange. And then what color is September? Usually I say blue. Really? Yeah. What did Max say? He said blue too. That's odd. I think September's yellow. I like that. I don't know why. I think that makes more sense. I think I like September more when I think of it as yellow. Yeah. And then October. That is like a pumpkin-y, autumn leafy orange to yeah. me. It's a different it's orange. orange from August. It's far. definitely, it's like a deeper browner orange. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. Although I feel like you kind of have to pick two different colors for the months to give it the full essence. I do feel like the beginning of October to me is like dark greens and browns. And then as it huh. as the month ripens. Interesting. It like turns a pumpkin? into like a deeper pumpkin. Oh, I think of purpley more towards the end of October. Just yeah, because, because November Halloween. is purple. So really? as it bleeds into November, it I becomes think of a purple. Like brown, red, and orange for November. Mm. But I have a lot of orange months, apparently. Because <laughs> June Oranges I also kind of see as orange. <laughs> G- June's green. June is very green. Oh. It's like a very light uh, <laughs> green. I'm sorry. This is a longer conversation than I meant to. I kind of forgot about but... recording. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming. <laughs> we'll catch you next you're week. wondering what we think the colors <laughs> of the months are. But, you know, not everyone thinks in color. Some people don't. And so I was curious if you guys did or not, because I I think of the months in color. I think also because I make our church's calendars, I'm thinking about Mm. the color themes Mm -hmm. a lot, too. But I did that before anyway. So, yeah. And the color is like there's like a feeling behind the color. That's why I think it's not really easy to define the color Mm -hmm. and why you have to like have different shades represented in it. But anyway, (laughs) all that to say, you know, sometimes we think in color, but 
It is the end of August. We are into September. We are getting closer and closer to fall. Thank you, Lord. Mm. I love fall. I love the winter. So good. I love all the seasons, but I have to say summer is probably my least favorite season. Here for sure. I never really experienced it anywhere where I was like, I love summer. I'm just not a summer person. I do enjoy summer for many reasons. But it's not my favorite season by any means. Yeah. I definitely love spring and fall. And I really love winter. So yeah, I'm I with think you there. Spring and fall are like equal. And the, but the top of the podium is winter with all its glory. Mm. I I esteem fall as better than spring because spring has summer coming and it's hot and sweaty where we live. Mm. But I love things growing. I love like seeing tulips popping out of the ground and i love the smell of the earth after a whole winter where it's like that fresh sweetness but it's kind of rotting too and things are starting Mm -hmm. to grow the new life is you get to start opening windows again for the first time and you have these fresh cold breezes like i love spring yeah i definitely love spring but spring and fall are both cool for different reasons love them both and then winter is like i love winter love winter max hates winter (laughs) I'm so sad about that. It's a good thing we love Max. Otherwise, yeah. will we have him around? It's a good question to ponder. No, if we if we didn't love him, I probably wouldn't have married him. So. <laughs> well, that's the answer right there. So no, <laughs> if we didn't love him, we wouldn't have him around. Now you know. The Catch more you next know. week, <laughs> Bible braced, where we talk about what we want. <laughs> All that to say, welcome. We are getting in the word again today. Believe it or not, you're waiting for it. It's coming. Yeah. Hopefully you didn't turn it off because we hate summer. (laughs) And I don't hate summer. I love summer. It's just that I love it less than the other seasons. But as we get into our study today, Emily, what are we studying today? Justice. Justice. Yeah. So we have been talking about righteousness. Hopefully know this. But in... My Barrickman book, who oh, Floyd, you know, Floyd, who we know and love very well, he grouped these together. And I'll go ahead and read what he said about righteousness and justice. He said, since both of these qualities are translations of the same words in their respective original languages, we shall consider them together. Their meaning is determined by the subject matter of the biblical texts in which they occur and their contexts. So righteousness and justice, as he said, are really correlating topics and they come from the same words, but they are just used differently in different contexts. And so that's why we Hmm. differentiate in the English. So before we expound on that, I do want to say it's time for our dive into doctrine. Oh, so cue the organ music. Emily's been jumping the gum without her organ music. I know, I just get so excited. (laughs) But uh, so basically what you're saying, what Berrigman's saying is that righteousness and justice are two sides of the same coin in scripture it just depends on the the context and the subject of the the verse that they're used in for if it's righteousness we're talking about or if it's justice that Mm -hmm. we're talking about so essentially and that makes sense because we know that righteousness just means like to do right to do right absolutely Mm -hmm. and justice is the same right it has to be just and we we determine if something's right or not by the justness of it. Yeah. So that does make sense. Berrickman also defined it as the quality of being fair. So you can see how those relate to each other for sure. Hmm. The quality of being fair. And they are similar enough to where we probably could have combined them with righteousness. But as it was, we were already talking about righteousness quite a lot. 
And there is enough of a difference that it's still good to delve into justice as its own unit. Mm -hmm. And there are actually a lot of ramifications for God's justice, too. So we need to make sure that we're devoting good attention to it. Yeah, I think the nice thing about splitting them and really focusing on either attribute is they are utilized differently. And so that's important. Kind of like how we would use love and in, mm-hmm. in English, it's the same word, right? But in the Greek or in Hebrew, there are different ways of referring to love, the different mm-hmm. kinds of love that we just use the English word love to cover all those. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice, depending on the context in the verse, it's it will mean different things. Um, and so it's nice for us to spend some time doing that. And justice is not quite the same in our minds as righteousness, I think. I think when I think of righteousness, I think of someone who's doing absolutely right. And who is right always in all their behavior. Justice, I think, carries the connotation of someone who has the right to judge the actions of others. Now, he has to be completely righteous. But there is an idea of ownership, of authority, I think, that comes with justice that we don't necessarily have if we just have righteousness. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I see where you're coming from. And I think it could be helpful to... um to read more of what Barrickman said on justice because it's just helpful to see how he kind of spells it out a little bit. So he put, because he is righteous, God deals fairly with everyone. And then the function of that is this quality requires God to do what is right judicially in his response to the actions of his personal creatures. So there's the ownership like you were talking Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. In all his dealings, he is just or fair. And his comment on that was, being righteous, God requires of his personal creatures obedience to his laws or will. Being just, he gives people what is due them according to their response to his laws. So there's kind of the the distinction there between righteousness and justice. Mm -hmm. He exacts penalties from the disobedient and gives rewards to the obedient. And we're going to look at some passages today. Hopefully that kind of get into that a little bit. He can also justly forgive those who meet the conditions of divine forgiveness because of the atoning work of the Lord Jesus, which paid the debt of these sins. Mm -hmm. I just thought, you know, I couldn't really say it better than that. (laughs) So thank you, Floyd. Floyd. We love you. (laughs) Dr. Floyd. (laughs) I think that a way to kind of succinctly wrap that idea up in a sentence maybe would be, we can trust that whatever God decides in judgment is completely just Mm -hmm. because he is a righteous God. Yeah. And so like you, I think that maybe catches some of the nuances, what we're talking about here. Like the judging injustice is righteousness in action. And that's probably again, an oversimplification, but it just helps for me to kind of define my terms a little bit. Yeah. And I think obviously righteousness is different from unrighteousness Mm -hmm. so those are two opposites and it cannot dwell together with unrighteousness because they're polar opposites and so justice has to be satisfied when it comes to unrighteousness Mm -hmm. so that's something that's really important to understand well as a christian because what has happened to you as a christian judicially is that god has made you righteous because of what he has done And he had to do that because otherwise his justice wouldn't have been satisfied and we wouldn't be able to enjoy fellowship with him. Right. So exactly. So they do walk hand in hand, but they are their own distinct attributes, really. Yeah, I think so. When you divide it out like that, which is good. I will say, too, that 
different people mark out the attributes of God differently. There are some that I'm not sure that we're going to go into necessarily. One is God's simplicity, for example. Hmm. And so it's a very short one because it just says, you know, this is this is what it is. And there's not like actually a lot of like scriptural backing to that one. So I, I can see I where they would grab it. I think of any verse it. that talks about the simplicity of God. Right. I can't think of anything. Yeah. Right and so I think it's kind of more of like a philosophical thought on God's other attributes, maybe, because he's he is spirit. not the author of confusion. So maybe in that regard, they're saying... Well, they're saying because he is spirit and they relate it to other things. But it's hmm. it's those things that I'm like, there's not like heavy... Like I can... it's I don't think it's anti-biblical per se, but I just... Mm-hmm. I don't see heavy reason to include that. It seems more like a conclusion some are drawing based on other ways that God has been demonstrated in scripture. Like more of a theoretical mm-hmm. conclusion... If this is true, then we can believe this. And I think we get into some muddy doctrine when we do that. Mm-hmm. Like we need to have all of scripture needs to determine all of our thinking. So if we're saying, okay, if this is true about God, then we can conclude this is also true. Mm, not necessarily because you are now trusting in your thought process mm-hmm. as an individual to be completely rational, completely just, and to have all the variables to be able to make a decision off of what you are looking at the information you are judging and that is not something you can do you're a sinful person so you don't get to make doctrine about god based off of oh because this is true of god then we can say that this also must be true of god and well unless there's scripture saying that no you cannot say that we do need to be careful how we talk about god and the conclusions we draw because it is easy to put him in a box because our mind is like a box. Like, we can't really break mm-hmm. out of that. We, we only understand things from an earthly perspective. Mm-hmm. And so it's attributes like that where I, I'm not saying like, oh, that's not right. I don't buy that. But it's more just like, let's deal with what we have scriptural, a lot of scriptural basis for. Because it's also important not to make doctrine off of like one thing mm-hmm. that you see in scripture. Because you could be reading it wrong, you know. Yeah. So it is if if it's repeated in scripture, you get more of a solid basis for believing that. So and I want to say too. Oh, sorry, I cut you off. Oh, I was gonna say all that to say there are a lot of different lists of the attributes of God, but we're kind of doing a more believe it or not, ours is a little more concise. So we've been doing it for like ten weeks, but you ours is a little shook. bit more concise. <laughs> but yes, there are more extensive lists, and there are people that spend their whole life doing this. So. Don't be too upset. Mm-hmm. We've only been doing it since March. <laughs> yeah. Calm down, everybody. <laughs> Stop yelling at us theoretically. <laughs> um, but, you know, one thing that I've noticed um, to speak to what you're saying, Emily, about us needing more than one cherry picked verse. Mm-hmm. And we say cherry picked because it's the idea of like going through a grove and picking the one that you like the best. Right. And that is dangerous. OK. Yeah. It's also unbiblical. And the Bible says to try the spirits. If you are being encouraged in your devotional life or in your study of God's word to take one verse that you like out of a bunch that you don't and to just focus on that one, that is not of God. (laughs) He tells Mm -hmm. us to look at the whole counsel of God's word. He tells us to search the scriptures so that we can be found faithful. And so we don't get to just walk through the cherry orchard and pick a cherry we like, okay? We don't yeah. pull a verse out of context whenever we feel like it. And so what Emily's talking about is the fact that true doctrine of God, Scripture backs itself up again and again mm-hmm. and again and again. And I've run into this even in my own personal life recently because I'm currently writing my doctrinal statement, which is 
when you just kind of as an individual go through and say like, hey, these are the tenets of scripture I firmly believe. These are the pillars that hold up my house of theology, right? Mm -hmm. This is what I think God's word says about who God is, who man is, what God's plan for salvation is, et cetera, right? That there is a plan for salvation. Mm -hmm. And so when you go through and write your own doctrinal statement, you are searching the scriptures yourself instead of just accepting what people are telling you, which is, you know, if they're faithful teachers and they're giving you the proof as they're telling you it, then there is some acceptance that can happen from that. But it's just a really good exercise to go through and do it yourself. I went to a school that didn't have me do that. Um, some schools, if you go to a Bible college, some will have you do your own doctrinal statement, depending on what your major is and what classes that you get into. And that's a very healthy practice for you to do that. But I think even if you're not forced to do so in school, it's really healthy for you as a Christian to do it. And maybe if you've done one in school, it might be good to go back and revisit that and see if you would add more doctrine to that list, if you would do more than what you were told to do in your assignment, if you would add more scripture now that you've studied the scriptures a little bit better and have more of an understanding. It's a healthy thing to go back to those tenets of your faith and to make sure that you are rock solid, firm in what you believe and you know why you believe it. Because at the end of the day, like, it's good for you to know where to find these things that you believe are true in God's word. But also, it is so encouraging for your faith. And it's so remarkable to go through and to say, like, God exists. And then to have, you know, 20 verses you could throw in that category of times when God specifically in his word addresses his existence. It's not something we just assume because he's interacting with us in the pages of scripture, like he talks about his existence. And then you go to a verse that talks about Jesus dying for our sins. And, you know, you've got giant, beautiful passages all throughout scripture talking about this need for his salvation, this need for his sacrifice, that it was a worthy sacrifice, that he lived sinlessly, that he died for us. Like, and you just see all these parts of scripture that are totally confirming and validating other parts of scripture. And it's vast. I mean, we don't have to just base doctrine off of one verse or off of the inferences of a certain passage. We can go to God's word. We can see, you know, 8, 15, 25, 50 verses sometimes that are telling us this is true about God or this is true about man. And I love that about God's word. It is constantly affirming and confirming itself in the actual word mm -hmm. of God. And that is great for our faith. And so that all, all this to say, you do not need to base doctrine off of very little evidence because the doctrines that we see again and again and again in scripture are the ones that we know are true and they are the ones that constantly affirm each other. And sometimes one verse that's taken by itself might seem to say what this thing, but if you add it to all the mm -hmm. other verses, you see what God is actually saying. And that is why the whole counsel of God's word is significant. Absolutely. Yep. All scripture is true for sure, but all that to say, like, we don't necessarily understand how, you know, if, if you just see one verse that mentions something in scripture, that's why it's important not to build heavy doctrine on one verse. Because even though it's true, you may not know exactly how it is true or how mm -hmm. it plays out. So good stuff. Good topic. Good topic and talking. No. <laughs> it's good to be reminded about the, the yeah. foundation yes. of our faith and why. And so it's a healthy that's why practice. We do this. Well, cool. So I want to go ahead and start us off in Romans 2 today. <laughs> and <laughs> Romans. Uh, we love Romans. It's a good book. It's so, so good. 
we're going to start off in verse 1 and then I'll probably read through verse 11. So follow along with me as I read, if you have your copy of God's word with you. It says, therefore, you have no excuse. So pause real quick there. If every time you see the word therefore in scripture, you've got to find out what What the therefore is there for. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good exegetical hint for you. (laughs) It's good to look back and see what it is. Because again, we have to take all of God's word together and understand what the context is. Context is so important in scripture. So we need to go back to Romans 1 the end of chapter one and see what was being talked about before he says, therefore. All right. Do you have it? Yeah, I do. And we want to pause here too and say that to be clear before we get into the end of chapter one, because sometimes people are like, well, that's the end of a chapter. You know, there's the beginning of another chapter. Like why are these thoughts like blend into each other? You have to remember that chapters and verses are not inspired by the Holy spirit, right? (laughs) They have been placed (laughs) in the Bible by well-meaning people. Stephen Langton. By Steve, whatever his name is. Stephen Langton. <laughs> what, 1205? 1205. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They've been placed in the Bible so that we are able to find a specific passage easier. Okay. Otherwise, mm-hmm. instead of Emily being able to say, we're going to go to Romans 2, verse 1, she'd be able to say, like, hey, we're going to go to the first, you know, fifth of the book of Romans. Yeah. <laughs> <Or> <laughs> it the would first be hard. Eighth of the book. No, it really wouldn't even be that. It'd be like yeah. what, the first, like, I mean, it'd be like the first 16th of the book of Romans. Yeah. You know, like that doesn't work. So I'm really thankful, but just sometimes, just be aware that sometimes he put them in places that doesn't make sense with the flow of scripture, but he just did that to make it a little bit easier for us. And that's why like words like therefore are nice little hints that what Paul's about to say actually is building on a thought he just finished. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so you want to go back, just like if I was writing Emily about something that happened at school, if I was saying like, hey, this happened, I fell down the stairs, I broke my leg. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I am now unable to get to class and I am having a very difficult time of it. You know? (laughs) I'm so sorry. If Emily came in at therefore, I am unable to get to class and having a very difficult time of it. And she hadn't read the part about me breaking my leg. She could infer thousands I could spiritualize it yeah (laughs) exactly for why I can't get to class I'm having a difficult time yeah oh she's locked in her room oh she doesn't have any shoes (laughs) like you could go through all these variations but if she read the beginning of my letter right before I said therefore she would know why I could not get to class okay so this is an example of like why it's so important to read the context of a passage and to not just, oh, I love how this is all tying together and building on each other. It's so exciting. Yeah. It's so cool. Okay. So anyway, the end of Romans 1 is significant. So I'm going to try to pick this up where the beginning of this thought is because Romans 1 is a very significant chapter when we're talking about man's depravity and the fact that we choose to fight God in our hearts and that we're without excuse because God is obvious to us. Like we're born with an understanding. We can see the effects of God around us on the earth. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of building from this concept of like man's absolute depravity, but also man's absolute understanding of who God is deep down and that he is fighting against God. And then Paul tells us that he is not ashamed of the gospel in verse 16 because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For the righteousness of God is, hey, look, righteousness, for the righteousness of God is revealed in it, 
Isn't that cool? There it is again. God's righteousness is being revealed Mm -hmm. in salvation, even though it doesn't seem to make sense and be righteous and just to Mm -hmm. us for someone to die for our sins. But the righteousness of God is revealed in it from faith to faith, just as it is written. But the one who is righteous by faith will live. So the, the one who is righteous by faith will live. It's in quotation marks in my translation, because here Paul is quoting an earlier passage of scripture, which it looks like from Emily doing a quick Google search is from Habakkuk 2. Mm-hmm. So that's really neat to see again, scripture quoting itself, right? Then Romans one eighteen talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all impurity and unrighteousness of people. And this is that idea of God's justice, right? His wrath is being revealed against unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. Who's, and then it says these people are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. We have a teacher um, who is teaching one of our Sunday schools right now, our adult um, small group that we're a part of. And on Sunday, he talked about the fact that in like even a couple hundred years ago, we wouldn't say unrighteousness. We would say unrighteousness hmm. because that was how the word was pronounced, um, where they would say righteous instead of righteous. And he said he thinks we've gotten away from the concept of what righteousness really is because we don't say right when we're saying it anymore. Like say right. <laughs> we say right. right. Righteousness. <laughs> but the idea of like unrighteousness, it is someone who is acting in a way that is completely not right. Hmm. And then verse 19 says, because what can be known about God is evident among them, for God made it clear to them, for from the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and deity are discerned clearly, being understood in the things created so that they are without excuse. And this is where we really know for sure from scripture that there is no such thing as a true atheist, because even atheists deep down understand that there is a God. That's why they fight so aggressively against him. Because if they didn't believe that there was a God, why would they devote their lives to fighting him? Like, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. I don't believe there's a Santa Claus. I don't go and like rip beards off of Santas at Christmas time and like throw them down on the ground. Like, Maybe you <laughs> like, don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, they're not, it doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. I don't need to go around and like, yeah. you know, break his house. They so <laughs> feel the need to, to prove something. So. so then like this goes into just the the effect of unrighteous man as they fight God. They're exchanging the glory of God for the for those of what has been created. It says in verse 24 that God then gave them over to the desires of their hearts, to immorality, that their bodies would be dishonored among themselves. So God's giving them what they want. He's like, okay, you're going to fight me. You're going to resist me. I'm going to give you your, what you want. I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm not going to force you to love me. It says they exchanged the truth of God with a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And then verse 26 is because of this. So again, like it's it keeps going back to what has just been talked about and then building on that. So because of this, God gave them over to their passions. And then the rest of the passage is talking about the effect of mankind when they have been given over to their own sinful desires, what that looks like. And as you read this list, you're going to recognize it because it's what our world looks like right now. <laughs> it's full of arrogant, insolent boasters. It's full of evil. It's full of haters, senseless, unmerciful, unfeeling. It's full of sexual sin. And it's crazy to think about just how much this is showcased in our current world. We're living in a very Romans 1 culture Mm -hmm. right now. And then it says, who, although they know the requirements of God, that those who do such things are worthy of death, not only do they do the same things, but also they approve of those who do them. And this is what has happened right before chapter two, verse one, which is where Emily comes in with this passage. It says, therefore, 
with all that in mind, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. Insert a note in there, God is right to judge sin. He is so much higher than us. He is perfect. And we are so sinful, we don't even know it. Mm -hmm. So it says that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. So all of this to say... God is just, and we are not, and our only hope of being rescued from ourselves is Jesus Christ, the just one who died for us. There's no other way, Jesus plus nothing. So we see that we cannot contribute to our salvation because our sin has already disqualified us from that. We are born into sin, we are sinful people, and this passage is talking about people who are, they think they're righteous because they're judging other people who are sinning but they're still sinning themselves. Mm -hmm. They're doing these things. And, you know, self-righteousness is a sin because you're lying to yourself and you're calling yourself good when you're evil. And uh, God sees that and he's going to judge it. And, it. and then in verse seven, it talks about those who are persevering and doing good. And that would be the believer. So it's not just talking about people who are trying to be good, you know, like it, it's somebody who has been cleansed and justified by Jesus Christ getting eternal life. So if we jump ahead to the next chapter, and again, like, these are very weighty chapters here with a lot of doctrine in them, and mm -hmm. we can't get into all of them today. Mm -hmm. But um, I put it in the notes for, th for further study, too, to just read through Romans 1 through 3 to kind of get the whole cohesive mm -hmm. passage together. But in Romans 3, which is a, a really rich chapter with so much hope in it, and as well as really hard truths to hear. We'll go ahead and start in verse 21, and it says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just, there's our word there, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So this passage tells hmm. us that God is just in forgiving us because of Jesus' sacrifice. He can cleanse us and justify us because of what Jesus has done for us. Again, 
this is a theme in our podcast, praise the Lord, but we cannot do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. We can never contribute to our salvation. We can never be just enough. We have to throw ourselves on God's mercy because he's the only one who can save us. And he's made a way. And, you know, in, in chapter two, we just saw you have to believe you just have to have faith. Oh, sorry, just kidding. That was in chapter three. <laughs> but it says <laughs> the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe because all have sinned. But if you believe, <laughs> God made it so easy. He just, he wants your heart. He doesn't want your good works to earn your way to heaven because you couldn't do that. He wants your heart and he wants you to believe in him and to receive his forgiveness. So that is how God's justice can be satisfied is through his wrath being poured out on Jesus Christ, who's the perfect sacrificial lamb for us. And the context of that sentence would be the whole Old Testament, right? Because you... You need to go through and see the law and God's justice and how it had to be satisfied through a blood sacrifice of the one who is innocent. Mm. Oh, this is like, I just want to like yell because this is so cool. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> like, it's just so incredible to see this crescendo building in these passages because mm -hmm. Paul is writing this letter to the Romans, to the Roman church. And it was largely Jewish, at least from we can see from the context, because Paul is dealing a lot with the the old perspective of those who were Jewish who served God and what Jesus has now done, like how things have changed, right? Mm -hmm. But he's speaking about Jews and Gentiles. It's not just for Jews, because he's talking about all of us, right? And the fact that faith has come for all. But he's he's trying to build the case in their mind for why Jesus' coming was the fulfillment of the law and not the abolishment of the law, right? When we say the law, we're talking about the Old Testament standard that God put down for what was right, what mm -hmm. was just, and the fact that we could never reach that standard, right? And that's kind of what Paul's talking about here is like, hey, you guys judge those who are outside the law, but you break the law yourselves. Like you are, mm -hmm. the law is not keepable by humans, right? That was the point of the law coming. And so he's saying that like, we are justified not from the law. We're justified apart from the law. We're justified by faith because Jesus came and lived the perfect life. Jesus completely upheld the law in every respect and he fulfilled the law. And then when he died, that sacrifice of his can now be what we fall under if we accept him. And so when God looks at me, Katie, who is a Gentile, who is a sinner, who was born under the curse of the law, because I have accepted what Jesus has done for me, when God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. He sees the fulfillment of the law in Christ. And I have received that by faith. It is not my works that have given me that standing before God. And so that's what Paul is saying later in this chapter. He talks about in verse 27, he says, therefore, where is boasting? It has been excluded. He says, by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. Mm -hmm. For we consider a person to be justified. Again, there's that idea of justice, right? We are justified. We are made right. He says, by faith, apart from the works of the law. Mm -hmm. And then he says, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? And he says, yes, also of the Gentiles. This isn't just for Jews. The law was for the Jews initially to like set them apart and to be assigned the nations, right? They were God's chosen people. He says, but now it's for everybody. And he says, since God is one, who will justify those who are circumcised or the Jewish who have lived according to the law? He says, by faith and those who are uncircumcised through faith. 
he says, we uphold the law through faith is what he's actually saying at the end of this chapter, in chapter three in Romans. So it's, it can be complicated sometimes to think about this when you're in like right up against the words and you're trying to kind of process it. That's why you want to take some steps back and really consider the fact that Paul is talking about the fact that we can be justified through the sacrifice of Christ. And we cannot be justified by our own works. We will fail every time. We are born in sin. We continue in sin. Romans 1 is talking about the base nature of man, right? And we have we have committed even more atrocities as a human race since Paul wrote to the Romans. <laughs> mm. Okay? I mean, we've had some of the worst massacres in mankind yeah. in the last 300 years. So it is definitely only building the case for us being sinful humans, right? But this is why it's so incredible to think about the justice of God being appeased because we are trusting in faith and what Jesus has done for us, not mm-hmm. in our own works. Yeah. Amen. It's all him. And then the next passage we have, we've read out of Acts 17 a lot, but it's because it's important. <laughs> Hold on. Yes. Yeah, so, so <laughs> yeah. So sue us. <laughs> why are you so mad about it? <laughs> so Acts 17 Verses 30 and 31 say, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, Hmm. because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Hmm. So that is another, that's another connection to these passages as well. God's justice is appeased through his son. So those of us who are believers, we are no longer under judgment. That's really, really good news. You don't have to do all the right things to make God happy with you because he's already happy with you. Praise the Lord because of his son. When he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. If you've accepted his sacrifice, if you have that faith in Jesus to save you from your sins. And that's amazing. So in other words, God is not mad at the believer because that has been taken care of. That is paid for. At the judgment for believers, you will not be punished. There will be a judgment between what you did, what you built upon that foundation. So the foundation is Jesus Christ. Like Think of it as you're building a house. I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but your works that you decided to do will be rewarded or not rewarded on top of that. So if you are focused on building the life that the world would love. Maybe you're a Christian, but you've just haven't done anything with that. You haven't followed the Lord as much as you should have. Then you're not going to have a lot of rewards. And Mm -hmm. I hope every believer will have at least some reward to take into eternity on top of that foundation of Jesus. But I think a lot of us for sure will have a lot of wood, hay, and stubble, um, which is just going to be burned up because that's stuff that maybe we did it for ourselves or we did the right thing, but for the wrong reason, like for the praise of man or something. Um, but the things that we do for the Lord, he will reward because he's not cruel. He's he's a loving father and he loves to give good gifts to his children. And could he have just chosen to say, do what I want and there will be no reward? Yes. And he would have been just and that would have been fine. But he's decided to make it so that we can earn some rewards for heaven. And we don't understand all of what that looks like, but we can be excited in living for him and making sacrifices now in the here and now and giving up things that would have been enjoyable for us, but maybe grieve him or just aren't the best decision because we know that that pleases him and he'll reward that. And he Mm -hmm. sees that and he loves that. So just seek to have the heart that 
desires to do what he wants you to do. Don't look at things from a perspective of what can I get away with, but look at it from what can I do that will please God? What can I do that will help my brothers and sisters in Christ? Instead of just saying, what am I free to do? So that's a caveat there. That's a side note. But Acts 17 kind of touches on this because it says that God is declaring to all men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. So that I was talking about the judgment for believers, but there will be a really sad and horrible judgment called the judgment seat of Christ. And that is for unbelievers. It's for everybody who has never accepted Jesus and they will be judged on their works and it's not going to be good enough. It will never be good enough. And so I, it breaks my heart because I think though the world does understand that there's going to be a judgment of their sins, but they have it wrong in that they think that your good can outweigh your bad. If you do enough good things, then it'll erase the bad things you do. But that's not true, unfortunately. It's all it takes is one bad deed to condemn you to hell. And that's why you don't want to be judged on your works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so turn to Jesus, run to him, because he will open the books in that day and he will look and see if their names are written in the book of life and they won't be if they haven't trusted in Jesus. So you don't want to be at that judgment. And if you're not a believer today, just take that really seriously because you will stand there alone. It's not going to be you and your family. It's not going to be you and your pastor. It's just going to be you. And so you need to have your life lived in such a way, in, in a way in which he will have taken your sins upon himself and paid for them. So you don't have to pay for them yourself. I think it's important for us to talk through to the idea of God and his justice has made a way for us mm -hmm. to be saved without just having us fail again and again and again, <laughs> because he knew we would, you know, yeah. he knew that as sinners, we would try and we would make attempts to jump that gulf and we would never, ever reach the other side. Cause it's, uh, Emily's given that illustration before. It's like, you know, trying to hit a target on Mars, right. Or, or something yeah. when you don't have a bow and arrow. You can't even see the target. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And also you don't have arms. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's There's absolutely no way impossible. it's going to happen. Like, yeah. And, and that's the point of salvation, right. Is that Jesus, came. Jesus lived that life that we couldn't live. And then he died. And what scripture talks about a lot is that Jesus rising from the dead confirmed that his sacrifice was enough. That mm -hmm. is the proof, right? That was the proof that we are now made right with God if we accept what Jesus has done. If Jesus stayed in the grave, if he continued in, in the state of being dead, then God would not have been confirming that what he did was enough. Jesus would not have exercised power over death by raising from it. Paul says that, that, you know, if, if the resurrection from the dead is, is not true, then we are of all men most pitiable because we're putting our whole eternity in, in the hands of Jesus. Mm -hmm. But because he did rise from the dead, because we know that for sure, because of all the eyewitness accounts that came down through history and in scripture of people who saw him afterwards. And we know he was dead because of the physiological processes his body was going through that is demonstrated in firsthand accounts of Jesus at the cross and the spear piercing his side where water and blood came out. Mm -hmm. That's a sign that the, the pericardial sac was pierced by the spear and that, you know, there was water and blood so that the heart had stopped and that it, that it occurred already. There is so much firsthand evidence. I mean, good grief there. It's overwhelming when you start to really study it. Some good resources for that if you are interested, if you are finding yourself struggling with some lack of faith or just some doubts surrounding the testimony of Jesus' life and ministry, death and resurrection. And the Case for Christ is an excellent book that was written by a reporter who 
tried to tried to disprove Jesus was truly the son of God and had died and had risen from the dead. And on his journey of trying to expose that as an investigative reporter, he got saved. (laughs) He wrote a book about the case for Christ. And so it's an excellent resource for those of you who maybe are struggling or you have a teen who's starting to ask questions or you want to pass that on. Mm -hmm. But the author's name is Lee Strobel, by the way. Yes, Lee Strobel. But I tell you what, the evidence is overwhelming when you start to really get into it. There's more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than for I mean, most historical things that historians accept as fact, you Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) that are in our textbooks. (laughs) But what's cool about that whole picture of what Jesus has done and his resurrection from the dead being so significant is that it is now just for God to forgive us because of what Jesus has done. And we see this in 1 John 1, 9, which we've referenced in the righteousness episode, that if we confess our sins, the Bible says that he is faithful and he is just. It is the right thing for him to do in a court of law. It is acceptable for his justice, which is absolutely righteous. Mm -hmm. It is faithful and just for him to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're stuck in a feeling of guilt or you're stuck in a feeling of discouragement or depression, or you just feel like there's no way God could ever love you or that you've screwed up too many times for him to forgive you. If you are not saved, like throw yourself on the mercy of God, throw yourself on his sacrifice for you because it's there for all. He died for the sins of the world. Not everyone will accept that though. So not everyone in the world will be saved, right? Mm -hmm. You have to you have to accept it. And you can do that with faith because he loves you and he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to faith in him. But then if you are a saved believer who continues to find yourself in sin and is having a difficult time breaking free from patterns and is, you know, finding yourself bogged down in these things, like get help. Obviously we talk about on this podcast all the time, get counsel from biblical mature Christians in your life who can help lead you out of those temptations and out of those habits that can help be accountability partners and help you in feeding on the word and in listening to truth. But you have to also remember that when you apologize, right, when you get those things right with the Lord, when you truly repent and abhor your sin like you should and turn from it to the Lord, that you don't have to worry about him not forgiving you. The Bible says he will be faithful and it is just for him to forgive you because of what Jesus has done. Mm. And yes, that's not fair to us. We talked about this last week. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Like our sense of justice balks at that because we feel like, well, that's not fair that he keeps forgiving me. Well, the reason why he can do that is because of what Jesus has done for you. Mm -hmm. And they decided what was just and righteous when they dealt with your sin. Yeah. You just need to trust him now and to to throw yourself on his mercy and on his forgiveness and then to move on from that sin and not stay there continuing to be a slave to it, even through the guilty feelings of your mind, but to live a life of freedom and joy and service to Christ. Amen. Well, you actually covered one of the passages we were going to look what? at, you silly goose. I need um, to look at your notes. So I, I, I know. I'm hiding them from her. But... I had included verse 8 in that First John 1, 9 passage, which just says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not mm-hmm. in us. Mm-hmm. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, which is a good verse to remember, especially when you're feeling the the heat and the weight of your sin. It's a good place to be. It's good to, to understand the seriousness of your sin. 
but it's also good to remember that that's been paid for if you're a believer in Christ and he's taking care of it. So yeah. also first Peter two just has a really good section here talking about the sacrifice that Christ paid so that his justice would be appeased and that we could be legally made right with him. And like Ray Comfort says it a lot. Like if you have a fine and you're in court, the judge can let you go free if someone else paid that fine for you, but you won't have to pay it yourself. And that's what Jesus did for us essentially. So it says in first Peter two, 21 through 25, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. That's a good passage I feel like to end on because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it just sums it all up for us really well. Jesus, out of love, took that punishment for us. And it sounds too good to be true because who would do that? You know, mm-hmm. who would do that for you? Whenever you have rejected and rebelled against him, you've cursed him with your life by sinning. We all have. Um, but he has that tender love towards us as his own child to take your sins, to take your punishment upon himself and to die for you, all of your sins are covered. And so we can run to him <laughs> whenever, whenever we have sinned, we can run to Jesus instead of feeling like we need to run away, run to him because he's paid that sin for you. And he delights to forgive you and to bring you in to his home, to his kingdom in heaven someday. Uh, and that's the God we serve. He's not standing in judgment of you if you're a believer. He is standing in relationship. He has adopted you. He's made you part of his kingdom in heaven. He's made you a co-heir with his son, Jesus. So we can run to him and we can trust him and we need to. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's that's all I have for today. Any closing <sighs> thoughts, Katie? Good grief. I mean, how do you talk about these things with any degree of feeling like you've accomplished the subject matter? <laughs> like, this is just, it's it's vast and it's mm-hmm. deep and it's incredible and it's unfathomable. You know, we are talking about the love of God. We're talking about the action and the intentional suffering he went through on our behalf to save us from what we deserve. And the fact that at the end of the day, this is just because mm-hmm. of what God has done and what the actions he's taken is just incredible. It should just blow your mind. I mean, good grief. And I just want to say that like, we can, we can have two reactions to this. I feel like that are not righteous. (laughs) So I just want to encourage you guys, like on the one hand, we can become numb to these things because we've heard them all our life Mm -hmm. and we have become um, accustomed to the love and the radical, just incredible actions that Jesus has taken on our behalf and we can just hear it and it kind of just flows over and off of us like water off a duck. Right. And we're just like, yeah, that's, I believe that intellectually, or I know that's true. On the other unrighteous response is to be crushed under the weight of guilt. You feel at the realization of what Jesus has done for you mm-hmm. and why Jesus died 
was to save you from the bondage of sin and guilt and Mm -hmm. separation. And so if you continue there after he has died for you, you you are making his death pointless on your behalf. Not truly pointless, because obviously nothing God does is pointless. But if you are not living the the impact, if you are not living off of the effect of what he's done for you, if instead you are you are continuing in your sin and you are continuing in your separation from God by guilt or fear or whatever is holding you back, then um, I have to like just tell you, like, wake up <laughs> because what Jesus has done for you is enough. And, you know, Hitler could have accepted Christ. We don't see any evidence that he did because of how he lived. But Jesus died for the sins of the world. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that you've done that's too bad. There's nothing you've done that's too dark, too wicked. I mean, read Romans 1 like we were sketching over in the podcast today. Like, God knows what man is. Mm-hmm. He understands us. And he still told us that all who come in faith and who believe will be saved. And that when we are saved, nothing can snatch us out of the hand of the Father. Yeah, Nothing can take us away. Nothing we do can separate us from the love of God if we've accepted that sacrifice on our behalf. So that to the ones who are are feeling divided and discouraged and under the weight of their sin and their guilt, repent and turn from that and trust in the the faithfulness and the justice of God to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, as we talked about in First John t- today on the podcast. And for those who are feeling apathetic towards these things because they are so well known to you or because maybe you understand them intellectually, I want you to really consider your your faith to really analyze if you are truly saved. Because I want to encourage you that um, sometimes we can be very faithful to attend a church and to be a part of ministry and to even be in the Bible. And we do not have a relationship with the God of the universe. And just because you've done those things, God told us, we just covered this extensively when we were in Romans, that it is not by keeping the law that we are saved. It is by faith that we are saved. And so I want to encourage you that if you are feeling apathetic, if you're not really understanding these things as deeply as you should, then consider your salvation and ensure that you are a believer and a follower of Jesus and that you have at a point of time repented of your sin and you are relying on the work Jesus did for you and not on your own work Mm -hmm. to please God. And if that is the case, then pray and ask God to help wake up your heart and to restore your first love. You know, pray through Psalm 51. That's a prayer of repentance that David prayed after his sin with Bathsheba. And pray for a heart that's broken over your sin. Pray for God to make these things real to you and to soften and warm up the cold and the callous that's inside you. And trust him to do that and to make you more like himself so that you can appropriately praise and serve him and you can live with joy and with peace and with gratefulness for what he has done for you. Amen. Well, talk about an incredible topic. Good grief. We obviously aren't done because we could talk about justice and probably will for many, many millennia Mm -hmm. and eternity. (laughs) Um, But for now, we are drawing our podcast to a close. So thank you guys for being with us again as we talked about the justice of God. Emily, anything you want to add? Just walk in light of what's true, you know, walk in that freedom that God has given you. While you were talking, it made me think of another doctrinal point that we'll look at in Christology, which is expiation. And that's Jesus removing your guilt. So just that thought is really sweet to think about the removal of your guilt. You don't, you don't have to feel guilty. He took mm-hmm. care of it. Mm-hmm. So walk in that 
today have that lightness in your heart <laughs> that comes mm -hmm. from being now innocent before God when you shouldn't be and be thankful, be joyful. That's, I think that's something that we all need to reconnect with every day because it's so easy to get bogged down with lesser things, but mm -hmm. we have our eternity taken care of if we're believers and that's just the best news you could get. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Praise God for what he's done for us and Amen. for his work on our behalf. It's just incredible, you guys. So if you're having a hard time grasping that, you know, take some time to just be with the Lord and get together with him and really sit at the cross and, and try to just really study these things and understand them more fully and ask for his help to do that. And maybe taking a listen to this podcast or do an earlier one that struck you and you know, just be faithful to search the word and to be living for him with the time he's given us because of what he's done for us. I mean, it's just incredible. Well, we love you guys and we will, Lord willing, be with you next week. So enjoy the early September weather <laughs> and hopefully fall is coming. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, See you next time. Bye. Bye.